This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me this time from the band In Excess, it is guitarist Tim Ferris. In Excess Live, Baby Live at Wembley Stadium is uh, in cinemas November 14th and the day after uh, the soundtrack, the uh, the DVD, the CD and all that good stuff, uh, November 15th. But uh, to discuss all of this, it is the one, the only, Johnny D, formerly of Britney Fox, currently of Doro Pesh. Uh, bonjour, Monsieur Johnny. How are you? Bonjour, Mitch. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Now, some fans might say, well, why does he have... You know, Doro's drummer or, or, or Brittany Fox's drummer on an In Excess episode. And, well, the reason is, is that, first of all, you're a huge fan, but you also play in an In Excess uh, tribute band. That's correct. Yes. It's been uh, a few years and um, really enjoying the process and actually playing those songs. And I've grown to be even more of a fan uh getting into more of their catalog and just trying to keep their uh, legacy alive a bit. You know, the tribute scene is uh, has taken off in the past years. And, you know, we're something, you know, that also comes into play is uh, a lot of these bands don't exist anymore and keeping them uh, spirit alive. And uh, yeah, so it is uh, definitely a little bit of a different swing for me, and uh, but that's kind of why I did it and why I like doing it is because it's kind of a little bit of a left turn musically and uh, drumming-wise. Uh, John Farris is just, uh, I think, one of the most underrated guys or, you know, hasn't been talked about. We lose a lot of talk on drummers because of, you know, we keep the conversation always turns to the top. 10 or the top five, but there's so many other guys underneath that uh, have done amazing things. So all of that thrown together is kind of why I, uh, I did what, you know, what you said of uh, joining in an excess tribute. So, so, so let me talk about that. First of all, what is the name of the tribute? And then second part is what's sort of the, the, the scene for you in terms of touring? Is it something you do like five times a year? Is it something you do 50 times yeah. a year? So for so what is the name of this tribute? Okay. The band is called Kick, the NXS Experience, and they are based in Greenville, South Carolina. Some real good friends of mine, um, especially the singer Corey Massey. And um yeah, they put that together for oh, man, about six, seven years ago. And uh after about a year <clears throat> asked me to join and um yeah I jumped in to see where we could take it and it actually has been growing every year from you know the first couple years it wasn't a whole lot happening everybody was sort of pitching in and trying to book gigs on their own and stuff like that and little by little we started to get more spread out because we have some roots in the Philly area uh, we did some gigs in Pennsylvania and whatnot, and uh, it's been growing. And then um, a few years ago, we got a really good agent uh, representing us from New Jersey, um, Kathy Wagner, and she had some connections with, uh, she had been booking Rick Emmett from Triumph and a bunch of other uh, 
project. So she started to really, um, well, she saw and heard of the band, watched some videos and really got, um, was impressed enough to get behind us and start working with the band. So since then, I mean, the band's playing, you know, at least 50 shows a year, whereas we started out maybe doing, you know, a handful or so. So um, it's growing every year, getting better and better venues and spreading out, you know, um, quite a lot about uh, or throughout the states and actually have gotten into canada for one or two shows well let's let's hope you you get up here more now uh, just before i ask you a couple more questions about in excess what is going on with your main gig and doro you're i know you're in germany as we speak right now yep uh, making an album a lot more touring just give us a quick doro pesh update i will uh, first of all i am uh I am in Germany, yes, and I um, I have now a six-month-old son, and that is amazing in itself, and I'm also closer to a lot of the gigs in Germany that, uh, that Doro has, so it's pretty cool that uh, it's all kind of happening over here now. Um, I think, uh, well, we just finished the Mega Cruise, which was really pretty cool. Uh, we flew out to L.A. for that, got on the ship, did a bunch of uh, shows on there. And some. we had a huge kiss jam with the guys from Anthrax and Testament and Death Angel and Doro up there singing. And uh, that was quite uh, quite a blast. I'm sure you would have loved that um, had you been on board. Uh, it was totally just a kiss. Yeah, it was, it was excellent. So we finished that up. And um, in two weeks, we'll start a few days of rehearsal, and then we have uh, our winter tour, so it's called. Every year, we try to go out and uh, before Christmas and do some shows around Germany and the surrounding countries. So we have about 12 or 13 shows lined up in November, and then we'll take a Christmas break, and January, we'll just hit it again, and we're going to basically keep supporting the uh, – um, Forever Warriors, Forever United album, and um, doing some special shows, maybe with some type of uh, acoustic interludes and some different types of locations, a few castle gigs, and just like all the cool stuff that we can do around Germany and Europe, and uh, definitely focusing on that more in the U.S. And there's uh, finally landed a few choice gigs in the u.s so hopefully and i hear talk of canada as well so i once again hope we get to see you and uh yeah we're just going to continue touring into 2020 and building up uh a little more of what we've you know worked on all these years and 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you because I know fans always are interested. But is there anything on the radar in terms of Britney Fox? Is that something that you might revisit at some point? Because as we all get older, it's time to just say, "Ah, f it, let's just go do this." Or is that completely not going to happen? Um, for me, it's always I'm always hopeful. And um, the last little bit that we did in 2016 was actually. You know, it proved to me and all of us that we could actually, you know, do it and people that still want to hear it and see us and, you know, hear that music. So um, I think if we could 
you know, just work on some of the personal issues that seem to always break down the band's momentum, you know, we could probably do it again. But right now, I'm not sure. I haven't spoken to Billy Childs in, since the last gig that we did on the Monsters of Rock West, and that was in 2016. And um, we just uh, don't communicate, and nobody really has been working on any kind of uh, plans or anything. So I don't know what the possibilities are, but like I said, I always remain hopeful. And um, yeah, like you said, time is just burning. And uh, if it's going to happen, it needs to happen soon. It really does. And uh, well, you know, before we get over to Tim Ferriss here, because I, I loved this interview i think his answers were great we touched upon queen we touched upon black sabbath we touched upon a whole bunch of sort of heavy metal topics here with the guy from in excess uh what is sort of your vision of him as a guitarist how do you rate tim Ferriss? because you, you look at in excess and we think big singles but we yeah. don't we don't normally think of the individuals in the band of course yes michael hutchins right. we do but like you said with john Nobody puts him in the discussion of great drummers, and yet he is. And the same goes yep. with Tim, right? So how do you sort of view Absolutely. Tim? I view Tim as uh, just a integral part of, of that unit. Um, maybe not, uh, you know, not a shredder or something of a Eddie Van Halen type. But, you know, there's this is what I mean when, you, when I say uh, underdogs or, you know, lesser known players i mean they fit the mold for their bands perfectly and they create what you know the sound that this band uh has become and i think john well john on drums i mean everyone in that band uh was unique in the sense that uh they laid the foundations down and the sound for what the band needed to present as their you know, their style and they covered so many styles. The guy's very, um, got a huge repertoire as far as what kind of styles he can play. I think, you know, from funk to R and B to disco, to dance, to rocking out in a heavier way. And, um, just such a great band. And the fact that there's, you know, three brothers, a real, um, amazing, Oh, just you know. co completely amazing. And uh, and on that, uh, Johnny, I will say uh, merci. Thank you for doing this today. Always a pleasure to chat with you. You got it, Mitch. Looking forward to hearing Tim. Yeah. So, well, in fact, let's do that right now. Uh, here is uh, the one, uh, the only, Tim Ferriss. We are speaking with uh, Tim Ferriss of In Excess. Uh, In Excess Live, Baby Live, a global theatrical event uh, hitting uh, North American shores November 14th. Uh, other territories on other times. Uh Tim, bonjour, as we say here in Montreal. How are you? All right. You're in, bonjour. I, I'm fantastic. Thank you. Très bien. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, I miss Canada. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Yeah, I, I, I last saw you here on that Switch tour, and that was just a phenomenal show. But when has the band ever been bad? And the answer is never. Of course, uh, <laughs> Let me just quickly remind the folks, inexcesscinema.com for all uh, ticketing information and information about the uh, show and, and, then, and the movie. Um, I was given an advanced screener and I had a chance to watch it. 
It is. Oh, great. Yeah, and I have a nice 4K uh, TV at home, so I watched it on the 4K TV, which is what it's been restored to. It is stunning. So let's let's just go over the movie and, and getting it restored and getting it up to sort of 2019 technology standards, and then let's talk about the performance. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, once we've located the, the original 35mm stock, which was really a great thing that we, we shot it on, you know, motion picture film and cameras. It was a great, it was a lot of money was spent capturing that, that show. So and it turned out it was a really, was money well worth spent, you know. And, and, uh, and uh, once we located it, um, it, was, it seemed natural now to update it and, and put it on the widescreen format. You know, I got to see it for the first time well, in a long time, I mean, I saw it years and years ago, but I'd kind of forgotten about it, to be honest. But it wasn't until Eagle Rock restored it digitally in 4K and and put and did it on the widescreen format that I and I and I saw it in a cinema in Sydney all by myself because I was the only band member here, in you know, in Sydney at the time, and and someone had to see it and give it the thumbs up or you know comment on whatever, and I was blown away, and I was just. I kept looking around, thinking like, "Why am I the only one here?" You know, and but I and I still clapped. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was, it was it just made me feel like I was in the audience. You know, and it and the, the great thing about it is it gives everyone an opportunity for one not only to see in excess with Michael Hutchins, just like you know, it was a snapshot of what we were like at that time and and wow it was really impressive uh, for me I, I mean i i hate blowing my own trumpet but hey it was just the six of us on stage no grand pianos or giant things floating in the sky or you know backing vocalist dances it was just us and we st- we entertained that crowd and, and man the crowd went off it was it was a joyous moment it really was, and um, let me talk to you about playing these big crowds because here it is where you're doing your own stadium show, and it's you know seventy thousand people, and, and it's become legendary. But before that, five years before, you're on tour with Queen on the Magic Tour. What was that experience like? Because you have, you know, one of the greatest frontmen, if not the greatest frontmen in in the history of rock, and Freddie Mercury, and then you've got his successor in Michael Hutchins coming up. <laughs> Uh, what yeah. was that like, that tour? And, and you know, it sort of prepared right. you for this Wembley show, right? Yeah, you know, I suppose it did. I suppose it did prepare us in a way, you know. I mean, the thing was, the amazing thing about Queen was they were they sort of were making a comeback, you know. They'd, they'd, they'd been big, and then Live Aid really propelled them back into the limelight again. And until, until Live Aid came along, they'd really just been living off touring in South America, which was why we sort of started going to South America in the first place place way back in the 80s, was because we'd seen the success that Queen had had there, and we thought, hmm, well, you know, we're, we're in the Southern Hemisphere. We're not so far from, well, we're far from everywhere, actually, but we should do the South American thing too. So we did, and, and to this day, NXS is huge in South America. But so we, we were touring the UK and, and Europe, Europe specifically with Queen, and... Um, and during these huge stadiums. So the first time we played Wembley Stadium, uh, we'd been doing Wembley Arena, which is still big, but it's not the stadium. And 
was opening for Queen, and, and I was standing where Brian May would stand on stage, um, stage left, and you know I was having to dodge the things that people right down the very front were throwing because they were hardcore Queen fans. You, um, you mean the traditional was, piss bottles of the UK? <laughs> no, hmm. no, it was more like it was more like sandwiches, you know. Okay, good. All right, well, because they're, they're sand- notorious. Cucumber sandwiches, scones. Um, <laughs> It was a euphemism, really, but you know, it was it was it was kind of like, you know, we we were trying really hard. It was daylight, broad daylight, to win the audience over it. And I, you know, we I, we must have done a pretty good job because five years later we came back and we sold that sucker out, you know. So, and that was a great feeling. And and you know, watching and and hanging out with they were really friendly, to, and they were, they really sort of took us under their wing, which was really endearing to us and, and to this day I, I always it it made it made us treat everyone that worked and opened for us differently too because we, it was so nice to be treated like that and they they would take us out for dinner just the just the, the guys in queen and us just the six of us and and they were they were obviously close uh, as people and it was like wow there is here's another band that's like us you know they 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 all like each other you know they're all friends and and they got this great front man you know and michael's gonna be a great front man you know or he already was or whatever and then we, we did the montreux uh festival pop festival in, in montreux switzerland um with them and and i ended up in freddie's hotel room suite with michael and and my brother john and and freddie's personal assistant and, and freddie had a microphone and was playing some of their new stuff and getting michael to sing with him and it was just me and my brother in the room and Freddie's PA guy, and, and and there's Michael Hutchins and Freddie Mercury singing with their noses an inch apart into one microphone, with nobody. And it's like pinch yourself moment, you know. But uh, and then lo and behold, we ended up there, and it um, it all seemed to, it all seems to make sense now looking back. But at the time, we didn't sort of put the two and two together. But but you know, the, the, it was just one of those things. It was great times. A great moment in that that sort of uh, duet story. I've heard it before, and I can just imagine oh, okay. what that might have been like. I, I mean, Jesus! And <laughs> too bad we didn't have uh, iPhones or whatever back then to get that stuff captured. I know, right? Oh, God. But you know what? It was so great that we didn't too. You know, no one holding one up in the in the show. You know. <laughs> well, it it kept some of the secrets, but and and keeps the myth, the mysticism of the whole thing going. Um. Just real quick, uh, your brother or Andrew is going to be releasing a solo album in 2020. New singles out now. Where are you in terms of mm. new music? Are, are are you going to be uh, doing something? Is the band going to be doing something? What are sort of your plans moving forward? We, we sort of see what Andrew's well, doing. I, yeah, well, I had a I had a, uh, four years ago. I had a, a really bad accident with on a boat with my left hand that got caught in an anchor chain winch. And it uh, basically completely uh, mashed my left hand, which is the most important hand really for playing guitar, and severed my ring finger completely. And it had to be um, marathon surgery events sewn back on. And that ring finger is predominantly made of metal. It doesn't... I mean, it's got skin on the outside, but it looks like a, a real finger, but it doesn't really... Ben, <laughs> so I'm very limited with playing guitar at this point. I mean, things may change, but uh, I'm I'm doing things on on the on a computer really, and and programming and uh, and th- and 
more than anything else, probably looking towards producing other bands. And, you know, I've been... Um, but And also, you know, managing an excess's past still requires quite a deal of time. And digitising everything and going through all our old videos and getting them up to speed. And, and it is, it's, it's never-ending. But, but to the, as far as the future is concerned, 2020 is going to be very interesting. There's, there's quite a few things sort of bubbling away on the back burner there that I can't really talk about just yet because... I don't want to spoil a surprise. Right, fair enough. And 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 I was going to bring up the uh, the injury. I, we we know you're suing the boat company, but I want to sort of talk to you a little bit in the context of Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath. He famously had a, yeah. an accident, and he had a, a what a, a prosthetic, if you want, built for his finger, which gave him this very unique sound. And is there a chance that you might come up with something like that and get back to playing? Because I'm I'm assuming you must miss playing. Oh, I miss playing terribly, um, but. You know, it's really hard to imagine. I mean, like, like Tony Iommi must have been a lot younger, I think, when it happened to him. And, I mean, I, I just, i got to play guitar like, like I'm used to. I've, I've grown up playing guitar since I was eight years old. And it, it's like the muscle memory and, and all of that. I just, I go to play guitar and it just doesn't sort of happen for me, which is, it's, and it's too, it's too upsetting to even want to go there. You know, it's 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 blows my mind. You know that I can't play guitar the way I used to. So I, I don't I don't go there. But you know, as time goes on, you know um, that you know things may change. But for now, it's just not in it's not in my um, not in my radar at all. You know, right. I, I look towards you know appreciating music and doing what I, do. I watch a lot of YouTube's these days. You know, and remembering why it is I like music so much and the, my influences and and getting down to that sort of thing, I'm putting together a, a VJ list, and um, you know, I, I like I like putting together song lists and stuff like that for um, for, for events and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm still heavily involved in music and spend a good portion of my day up to my ears in music, and I still have all my instruments and love them dearly. Yeah, and, and as far as Tony, I think his injury happened when he was like 17 or something, so he had a chance to sort of, I guess, yeah. relearn uh, the whole thing. Um, yeah, that's a big difference. Big, big Boy, difference. that would have been a killer, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, let me ask you about yeah. this, uh, the last album in, in uh, 2010 here, this original Sin album, where you had Ben Harper and Pat Monahan and uh, J.D. Fortune and mm. a bunch of others. Um, just an incredible concept, and, and to hear... You know, uh, Ben or Milan Farmer or Rob Thomas hit, you know, doing your songs. It just, it was something special. Uh, talk to me about that concept. And, and is that something that you want to see yourself doing again? And just talk to me also about the the, the power of the, the material, that it's so good that, yes, it's great when Michael sings it, but you can bring in these other cats and it still sounds amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I guess that it's the, it's the, you know the power of the songs themselves, Mitch. I, you know the the actual songs stand up for themselves. But you, you can hear that in, in the particularly by, by the number of times "Never Tear Us Apart" has been covered. You know, um, uh, it's been covered by so many people. It's you know, which is really a great compliment. But you know, when I hear Joe Cocker sing it, you know, or Paloma Faith. I'm kind of like blown away, but let alone Ben Harper, you know, who sings it with great passion. But that was that was really good fun to make that record, and there are some other performances by some other artists that are 
are still in the in the vault that we never released because for whatever reason they had albums coming out or or uh, there was contractual issues but we've still got their performances and, and they're by some pretty amazing people that, that didn't even you know get on the record but um and, and you know some of them are some of my favorite performances of those songs and you know it's an incredible thing to have and and they, they will see the light of day one eventually and these are the sort of things you know we did we did so much we, we worked with so many different people we had tom jones sing on tracks with us you know um which was great i mean working with ray charles you know on please you got that need was another great experience and, and doing letterman live with with ray um you know, they actually was just bizarre playing in a band with Ray Charles in it. You know, that was like another pinch yourself moment. But so, you know, there, and there are there are things that happen during all these things that are in the outtakes and stuff. And and I, I miss myself and a lot of that stuff these days, so that eventually the fans will be able to hear it. Well, let's hope it's. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. Let's hope it's sooner rather than later. Um, <laughs> so uh, hold on, let me put you on pause for a second. Okay, good. Um, just real quick, uh, Rockstar in Excess. Uh, there is a Canadian connection, of course, J.D. Fortune being from uh, Toronto. Uh, talk to me about that concept of that show and how revolutionary it was and also how important it was to sort of let fans know that, hey, this band still exists. And, and I'll ask you one other part with that. I, I met J.D. on the street in Toronto, and I said, boy, that was great that you... And he said, oh, I knew I was going to win. They had told me in advance. And I was like, hmm, that sounds a little bit strange. But, <laughs> but, but how? That didn't happen. That didn't happen. So, so how sort of, no. uh, well, I, uh, okay, so let me ask you the straight up question. Was the show honest in the sense that you were actually having a Absolutely. talent? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, that was the, look, Mark Burnett in particular, uh, let alone, was, he was like, you know, adamant about <clears throat> U.S. law that this has to be a proper contest and it has to be everything about it has to be legit and you know there's there's no way you guys can pre-decide who's going to be a singer and all that so i mean there may have been within within maybe management at the time um it wasn't the management we've got now but there may have been people around not not not, not the producers of the television show and and us guys never really discussed it at length. Andrew, my brother, wanted a girl to win, um, and the rest of us were really just what you saw on the television show was exactly what it was. We really didn't know, and, and in fact, I was worried that we weren't going to find anyone. Um, so, and then it just came down to really, at the end of the day, JD seemed like the right guy. So. It was it was a really organic affair, um, and so it was a hundred percent legit. And and you know that was was kind of a groundbreaking show for that reason because prior to that there'd been things like Idol, I think, and I'm not I can't really remember what these shows were, these Discovery talent shows were called back then, but they that most people came out and it was like karaoke, you know that. That sort of mime, well, not mime, but um, sing to a backing track, or you know, we, we actually had a band, a really good band, um, that rehearsed, and, and and the auditions started started way before we started the production of the show. So 
you know, Kirk and I went round the world to all the original, original editions, and that was heavy, you know, so where there was some <laughs> real fruitcakes and terrible talent applying, but we would go to two days out of three or four or five in all cities all over the place. And then they were, so it was whittled down to like 200 in LA. We were sat there and we watched the 200 and that was whittled down to 50. And then somehow we got it down to the final 15 that made the show. And that's when we started recording the show. So all that pre-stuff pre had involved months of work. And it was... You know, looking back, we Andrew and, and we were all writing material for the for the album that was going to happen when the show concluded, and we didn't know if we were writing for a girl or a guy or or what. You know, so and it made it made the, the it was a unique way to write a record. And and you know, when I look back, my wife says to me, "This is this is her, this look. It's a favorite record, which says a lot. She's been there since the beginning. She's the only." Only band member's partner that's been there since the beginning, and she was there since the beginning. Um, and you know, and now I look back, you know, and it, it was a really great record. I don't know, it's just a shame it was kind of, I guess, unappreciated in some ways. It, it depended right, in the states and Canada. It aired on on main commercial television. In, in the UK and Australia, it was on sort of hard to find television channels, which for me, it was a crying shame. I wished it had been on commercial television in Australia because Australia would have loved that show. And so it started the whole thing with people singing to, with musicians, you know, and and that, and that really made a, a big difference. It was it was really good fun to make that show. It was, and uh, I have to say, I watched it uh, religiously every day or, or every whatever, yeah, every Monday or whatever it was. Yeah, that, well, we recorded three days a week the show with the the you know the the Sunday I think show being live and and or you know on a five minute delay or whatever it was, and, and we actually had to decide you know who was going home based on votes and what we thought in a little room like and on a quick break where we had no time at all to really discuss it at any length and then i had to learn all my lines about why we were hiring or firing <laughs> you know and 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 i had with mark burnett looking me in the face you know just me he and i in a room going through my lines and i'd have to walk out there and remember like two a4 or us letter length pages of of lines and i had to remember them with with only five minutes to prepare and go out there and, and try and get it right. There was no teleprompting for me or anything like that. There wasn't time. So, you know, it was, it was very intense um, but, but period of time for me and, and, a, and a big learning curve. And, and, you know, really good fun to do. It was so different. It was so different from touring endlessly. You know? And it was a great way to try and look for someone that that, you know, came from somewhere different, you know. Uh, it was a great experiment, and I'm really glad we did that. I'm glad too. I thought it was I thought it was fantastic, and it brought your music to the people, like you said, every week. Um, and I we're, I know we have uh, 20 minutes, and we're at 20, so I'll go with this last question. Uh, after Michael, you went, of course, with uh, John and Sierra and JD yeah. and Jimmy and Terrence and so. On. Uh, talk to me, yeah, right. Talk to me about a little bit about that, because in one sense, you've got Michael, who's a voice and a performer and a, a front man you just cannot replace. But also at the other time, you want right. to move forward. Were all these lead singer changes just because y you couldn't get the right voice, or you just felt, you know what? No, we can't just replace Michael and go on with the next twenty years and pretend that this is the new. Guy. 
What was sort of the, the, the thinking yeah. in that? Well, it pretty much started out after Michael died. We did, we thought, you know, no one really wanted to, to do anything, really, because it was all just too sad. And, you know, we, we lost our, our brother and, uh, and and mate that we'd grown up with since we were kids. And, you know, just being together in a room reminded us who was missing. You know? And so it was really, really hard to do anything, to be honest. And yeah, But then so I think it had been about a year. And um, I can't remember how it came about, but Terence Trent Darby was a friend of Michael's. And, and I, in fact, Michael and I and I think Kirk had been to see him at his first U.S. show um, performing uh, at a club. I can't remember which one it was. I should remember. I saw the birthday party there too um, in L.A. on Sunset. And and um, somehow we, we ended up with Terence opening a stadium Australia, which is the, was the stadium that was built for the Olympics here. And uh, there was a big soccer, major soccer game on, and we were the halftime half entertainment with Terence Trent Darby and it was the first thing since Michael had died and Terence just tore up the stage and and he you know he performed his you know his ass off it was fantastic um and and it was all a bit of a blur though um because we weren't sure what you know if, if we were going to be doing anything why we were doing it but it it kind of felt good but it kind of felt strange so we did then just sort of hmm, went went quiet again for a bit after that until, you know, we all started feeling like, yeah, we, well, I want to play, man, you know. And how do you feel, Johnny? Yeah, I want to play, you know. Yeah, we all wanted to play. We all just wanted to play. And, and we'd, you know, we'd achieved so much. And Michael's legacy needed to be, you know, we needed to remind people of who Michael was. And the only way we could do that was by, you know, you don't stop being a family when a family member dies. You still keep your surname, you know. You don't change it because so-and-so is not no longer with you. So... We, we did the right thing as far as we were concerned, you know, and who who was anybody else to tell us any different? So, and then John Stevens came along and we performed in a in a 2,000-seat club in Sydney. It was a, like a theatre. And it was a really cathartic moment, you know. There were like, I think I think there were tears in, within the band. John John's a great singer. He's not a particularly sort of, you know, front man like, like, a, like a Michael Hutchins or a... Freddie, you know, he's 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 just a, a really really great singer, and he sang really well, and and that brought a lot back, and and we we did a a big long in excess set, and and we could see people in the audience were very emotional, and it was a it was like that that once we had a taste of that we we continued on with John for four years doing that, and that led to you know and when John went his his own way we. We decided we wanted to try something different, and someone came up with this idea. I think it was Kirk about finding the singer through a television show, covering you know all bases at once and testing them out by you know firebrands. You know, so that's how that came about. And, and it turned out great, uh, Tim. I know we're out of time, so I'll remind folks: uh, Live Baby Live. Check out uh, InExcessCinema.com for all ticketing and other information. And uh, as we say in Montreal. Merci beaucoup. Absolute, absolute pleasure. Avec plaisir. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank a, you very much. A la prochaine. Great, great to be able to chat with you, Mitch. Thank you. Yeah. And great ple- pleasure to chatting with you, Tim. And uh, like, again, à la prochaine. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Au revoir. Cheers. Bye-bye. 
You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.